I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to our Golden State Killer episode. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so, so far we've talked about the Visalia Ransacker mm-hmm. part of all yes, of this. that section. So we left off with the last Visalia Ransacker crime. Mm-hmm. So that happened in December of 1975. So about six months later, on June 18th, 1976, the same man broke into a woman's home in Rancho Cordova, California. So Rancho Cordova is about three and a half hours north of Visalia, and it is a city on the east side of Sacramento County. Okay. So at about 4 a.m. that night... The man, formerly known as the Visalia Ransacker, committed his first known rape. Her name has never been released, or I couldn't find her name at least, but she has been interviewed. So, okay, I don't know. I mean, it's not uncommon for rape victims to never, um, like, put their name out there. Yeah. Some of the people in this case are known and some aren't. So, if I don't say someone's name, it's because I couldn't find it. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something else after it, but I was like, no. You like, the cadence of that was like you were going to say more, and then you just stopped. And then I stopped talking. So sorry for that. That was a random explanation. That's okay. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so this woman, she lived with her dad, or she... I don't know how old she was at the time, but I'm assuming she was like a teenager or a young adult. Mm -hmm. And she lived with her dad, but her dad kind of worked odd hours. So he wasn't there when she went to sleep on this night. And she wakes up to a man standing in her doorway. I'd be so scared. Well, she thought it was her dad. Oh. That's why I explained the whole dad stuff. Even worse. You know, but then she like kind of was like all groggy and like really got like opened her eyes and was like, oh, that's not my dad. Like, who are you? So she, he just is like on top of her all of a sudden. He's like wearing a ski mask. He has a knife. The whole That's so terrifying. Yeah. And he doesn't kill her, but he does commit this awful and violent rape. And then he just leaves. And from this night forward, the man would be known to the state of California as the East Area Rapist. So after this first attack, the East Area Rapist committed at least 44 more rapes, mostly in towns situated on the east side of Sacramento, hence East Area Rapist. Makes sense. And they occurred from 1976 to 1979. I just think the numbers, you know, sometimes when you're like reading an article, you just kind of blow past that like oh that's a lot of numbers but then when you really picture like there's 365 days in a year Mm -hmm. he does this in three years yeah that's not a whole lot of days that he wasn't doing it exactly (laughs) you know i mean yeah it's insane so Mm -hmm. okay so now i'm gonna kind of explain the mo of the east area rapist because similar to when he was the visalia ransacker he operated in a very specific way So, similar to Visalia Ransacker, he prowled for days, stalked, figured out, does this woman live alone? Like, when is she alone? When is she at work? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Learn the routine. Then he would break into her house while she was gone. But he wouldn't, like, do weird things in there to make her suspect that he broke in. 
all he would do is, this is the creepiest part. <laughs> he would go unlock like a window or something. Oh God. You know, so that. Yeah, to like prepare. So that he could like easily access it that night quietly. And he would maybe even open it a little bit, like a, a non-suspecting window or mm-hmm. like a, there was one case I remember reading about in the, the I'll Be Gone in the Dark book where it was like a, some sort of like, I don't know what they're called, not kind of like a, a skylight window kind of thing in someone's bathroom. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. he that's just on like, the, is it on the ceiling? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he just like, I think that's what it was. And he like mm-hmm. unscrewed some screws and made it where he could easily just like take it off because they didn't have, there was something about this house where it was like, maybe they locked their windows all the, like double checked their locks or something. So he had to do something even more right. non-suspecting. So he would just figure out a way to get in there and prepare it. So that on the night when he's ready to attack, it was done, easy, now you're in the house. Right. And then he would also have an easy way to escape as well. Mm-hmm. So he would know his path. Right. For Because, I mean, he'd have to leave pretty quick after. Well, I mean, once we get to another part of the MO, you'll see that like the escaping part wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. But, so while he was in there, though, he would also plant twine. Which he he always used twine to tie people up. So there hmm. we go. He tied people up. So it wasn't oh, hard to escape. Okay. Okay. Um, so he would plant that in just different areas in the house, and like hide it so people wouldn't see it. But that, you know, they would be like, he just pulls it out of like under a couch cushion or something. Like, oh, I was in here earlier, mm-hmm. and it's just like a way of like letting them f- know that he's been even more invasive than they think that they he, he was being. Yeah. You know. And because, I mean, is it a big deal? Just put some twine in your pocket. No, it wasn't. He just wanted them to know, like, I was in here when you weren't here. Yeah. And just incite even more fear than it Mm -hmm. already exists in the situation. So, yeah, he like he puts his victims in a complete sense, like set of vulnerability, not set a complete like state of vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like even if, you know, they're going to survive this one situation Mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives they're gonna be like he was in here and I didn't even know it Mm -hmm. I like the way you said like extra violated yeah just yikes which I mean not that that's I mean that to me I'm just like good lord like a a rape is enough like you don't need to get that extra about it and then have like think that your rapist has been in your house without your knowledge for how like However long before. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Like, now... Terrible. I would only, be so scared. Right. Now, not only has that person violated your body, but they violated your home, the place where you're yeah. supposed to feel safe, mm-hmm. the place where, like, even if you lock your windows, he will find a way in. And that's the scariest part. When I were when I was reading this book, I remember my boyfriend was, like, on spring break. Because uh-huh. I read... I guess I read it exactly a year ago then. Because yeah. we're on spring break right now. Uh-huh. Anyways, he was out of town, and... I was like, I had, I was still living on a first floor apartment with a mm-hmm. screen door, and I was like so afraid the whole like time because <laughs> yeah, and you're already nervous about like locking doors and windows and making sure everything is secure. Yeah, yeah. So well, it was like I come from a place with a very high crime rate, so it's not like like here people are so casual about just mm-hmm. leaving their like opening their windows. Like there's first of all, there's like not very many apartments in Colorado with central air, and I don't understand it. So people will just crack their windows open. And that was so shocking to me when I moved here because I'm from like Oklahoma City where you're you cannot do that. You absolutely can't do that. Yeah. It's just like an invitation for someone to 
break into your house. <laughs> yeah, someone's murdered like every night in Oklahoma City. It's insane. Uh, so yeah. that's why I'm always like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> when you walk into your house, the first thing you should do is lock, lock your, your door. door. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Okay. Anyways, so what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So I was home <laughs> and I was just like super scared. And to think about, even if you do lock your doors and windows, this particular killer doesn't give a crap. He will find no. a way in regardless. It's yep. so scary. Like It is scary, yeah. It's just that, I don't know, for some reason that just like is the scariest thing about this entire case to me is that he was like prowling beforehand and mm-hmm. violating everyone's spaces. And ugh. so, okay. Yeah. Anyways, on at least one occasion that I could, that I remember, he, this is really creepy. He located someone's firearm that was just in their nightstand. Because mm-hmm. you know how people just put a gun in their nightstand for yeah. safety? Yeah, my, my dad does that. All dads probably do that. I don't know. <laughs> I think he has them under, I don't even know. It might be under his bed or in the side drawer of the, yeah, yeah, his nightstand, but I'm not sure. But it's like kind it's of. close to his bed. <laughs> right. But then it's like also if someone's going to sneak into your house to do this, it's like the obvious place they're going to look. So mm-hmm. he looked there, found, he probably did this. He probably, every single home he did this in probably like looked around for, are there any Some obvious sort of weapon. weapons that I need to do something about? And they're typically weren't or at least it wasn't reported a lot but on this occasion he found it in the nightstand and he did this super conniving thing he took all the bullets out of it and but he put it back in the nightstand and then he went into the closet and sometimes he would actually just if he was going to commit it that night he would just hide in the house and wait for nighttime sometimes he would break in later but um on this one he just waited in the closet and then at night, he, you know, like comes out, does the whole, like, I'm here kind of thing. And the person reaches for their, their gun in their nightstand, gets it, and he just opens his hand and all the bullets are in his hand. Just like, <gasps> oh my God, that's like something out of a f- creepy movie. I know. Just like, just Gross. such an asshole. <laughs> oh. So false sense of security I know. and safety. He was like, "Oh, reaching for your reaching for your gun. I already spotted that and here are the bullets." Like that's so unnecessary. <laughs> like, yes. Well, he's obviously wants to have a sense of power over his victims and create fear, like incite fear in them. And that's just one of the ways you can do that. That's terrifying. I know. That one really I would stuck be out horrified. to me. I was like, because you're like, oh my god, it's fine. I have my gun. And I would then like you reach for it, pass out of fear. Like I would be so scared if somebody did that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That because that really is like out of a film. That's yeah, it nuts. really is. That's like a Hollywood creation. That's not something people do. And that also insinuates how smart he is. Like I said in the last episode, mm-hmm. he has like he really is an, a very intelligent killer. It's mm-hmm. so terrible and scary. I know. <laughs> like oh, I'm so picturing gross. in a movie the scene going down as like he's. He's like standing there uh-huh. and then the guy or the woman, whoever, like looks for the gun and then he's like, are you looking for these? And yeah. has the bullets. Like or, that's yeah. the line I'm picturing. Oh my God. Or even him not saying anything. And it just, and just pans just, like, over. holding it out and then dropping them onto the carpet. <laughs> oh, like sprinkle them. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Nobody ever, ever make that movie. Ever. We should make that movie is what I we should do. I do not want to make that movie. <laughs> That sounds terrible. But I mean, we have so many good ideas. I know. Just um, kidding. We named like the most two most cliche ways that could be filmed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they would work. It would work. It would work. It would freak me out. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So. Oh, it's so clever. It's annoying. Sorry. I know. <laughs> so he does all his 
you know, preparation or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when he gets there that night, he always woke up the women by flashing a flashlight in their face. So they're kind of like disoriented, you know. Did he talk at all? Would he speak to them? Okay. I'm going to get to that. Okay. So he also always wore a ski mask and he always, this is the speaking part. He Mm -hmm. always whispered, this is creepy, whispered in a high pitched falsetto voice like, hi, I'm I'm the Golden State Killer. Like that. (laughs) Yeah. And then he would call himself the Golden State Killer. (laughs) No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. But I mean, I don't want to say anything else that he would say. (laughs) Like Mickey Isn't that Mouse? creepy? Yes, that makes it one thousand times more not okay. That you're like right. already like, what is happening? Someone's in my home, and then they're like, "Hi, like, <laughs> what the hell?" I know, and it's interesting because like most of the time, people when they want to like distort their voices, they always go for the lower register. I know. That would be incredibly so, shocking. Yes, I would be like, "Are you fifteen? Like, what the hell is going on?" He sounds like a guy going through puberty, and it wasn't even it wasn't even that. It was like. It was like high. It was high, like obviously just completely making a different voice. No, oh god! It wasn't like a, oh that person has a high pitched voice. It was yeah. like so unsettling again, yeah. like a power move. And it was like a whisper, like, which I don't even know. I can't even whisper. Not, try whispering mean, in a high pitched voice. No, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yes, it is hard, and it's creeping me out. <laughs> Hi, Claire. Hello. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, yeah, he would do that. Not okay. No, <laughs> that's just, terrible. I just can't imagine that. Like, you're already like, <laughs> okay, what the hell is happening? Is so and then that happens. I would probably laugh. I think I would too, <laughs> out of just confusion. I'd be like, what is happening? It's like, I mean, we're already like in a, in a, just a place of unnecessary weird crap is going yes. on and then and now on top of it now he's whispering like a baby in a yes. baby voice like what the like, actual heck is going on like <laughs> i don't even know that would be so weird i know and this to make that to make things worse he would typically whisper he had okay so no one really knows if this is a red herring or if it's real okay because you know, he would yeah. be someone who would just do this to, like, pe- put detectives down weird rabbit holes for no reason. But mm-hmm. he would say, F you, mommy, a lot. And he, like, just referenced his mom, but he would call mm. her mommy all the time. And, like, multiple people. This was one of the things where a detective would arrive on scene to a rape and be like, okay, what happened? And then they would say, like... He was like whispering in a weird high pitched voice about his mom. And then they'd be like, oh, great. It's the hysteria rapist. rapist. You know? Like, huh. that is how, when I was saying his MO was like specific, it is it's really like specific. Really specific. Yeah. So, like, I don't really, Mm-mm. he might have just been doing it to be weird. Or like, there's so many like psychology things that could come into here, too. Cause like, obviously, he right. has either he's being weird and just throwing people off, or maybe he has mom issues and he's reverting to like a child's voice like maybe some something not okay happened to him as a child yeah you know there's so many weird things that could be going on here and unfortunately we don't know a whole lot about this person's backstory or their psychology yet so it's like we can't say whether that would be the case you know but Mm -hmm. I mean I do think that if someone's going to be speaking in a baby voice that that is a tell sign of like maybe something weird happened in their childhood 
Maybe. And I mean, it could also be that he was just being crafty. And like like you said, it could just be a red herring. And he was trying to throw off his victims and incite this extreme situation of pure terror and then throw them off even more by using this high-pitched mm-hmm. weird voice and then talking about his mom in such a childlike manner. So I don't know. It's almost like those two pieces fit together too perfectly to actually be real. insinuate that he had mm-hmm. a childhood problem with his right. mother. It's almost you too know? perfect. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's like because I mean we we talk about Ed Kemper and he had problems with his mom, but he didn't ever revert back to almost childlike behaviors in order to um, sort of like fulfill this weird fantasy of killing his mom when he was a kid. Um, and that's just one example, but I don't know. It's just those two pieces are too perfect. Well, and then also, I kind of think, I mean, I, neither of us know anything no, about what we're talking th- about. This is all assumption, but, but. I think that if someone is going to be that unstable where they're like, they can't control their voice, mm-hmm. then they're not stable enough to get away with this many crimes, if that makes yeah. sense. So, yes, no, but that totally makes sense. I mean, it's very possible that maybe, like, in a certain atmosphere, it, sparks this weird maybe it's like a kind of a personality just Mm -hmm. multiple personality thing I don't even know I don't know (laughs) anything I'm just making assumptions based on my limited knowledge but there could be so many so many reasons there could be so and then in one instance because he would say f you mommy all Mm -hmm. the time one victim said or survivor I'm trying not to say victim I want to say survivor one survivor said he was not saying that he was saying f you bonnie Bonnie, like like the, the name. name. So, huh? Just remember that. Okay, I will just remember that. Keep that little tidbit in your head. Okay, and I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> I already have my suspicions. <laughs> so. I tr- yeah, I I tried reading this book just so everyone knows. Oh like, yeah, Claire I tried. Did, Claire didn't like this book. No, I I mean yeah no. <laughs> Sorry, I just like jumping into the to not the good parts. That's I shouldn't say that, but like jumping into the actual case mm-hmm. and. Michelle McNamara kind of starts off with the beginning of when she sort of figured out what was going on. Wait, and don't then, tell them too much because we're going to talk about I it won't, later. But like she starts off with describing her obsession with it and mm-hmm. how she started getting into it. Um, and then I think it was like her preface that talked about her kind of breaking the case in her own head um, and figuring out some pieces. But anyway, so I, I didn't I just got bored. <laughs> So I, I loved that part of it. it. So yeah, there's just di- different tastes, you know. different books. Um, yeah, but I, you know, obviously, if you love true crime, I would definitely check it out. Yeah, it's an it's amazing. And mm-hmm. what? Okay, wait, we'll talk about the book later. Okay. Yes. So he would always use either a gun or a knife to control his victims. And one incident from the East Area Rapist at time really stuck out to me was the rape of Jane Carson Sandler. So she was at home and this rape actually occurs at like six in the morning and her husband had just left for work and her three-year-old son like crawled into bed with her. And so she's like laying in bed with her like toddler and she all of a sudden she hears the garage door close like her husband's leaving for work. And then sure. all of a sudden she hears someone like running down the hallway and she thinks it's her husband. And she like calls out like, oh, did you forget something? And then mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she says like he's just like on top of her and with a ski mask and a giant butcher knife. And he ties both her and the three year old up with their like their wrists behind their backs and their ankles. He also 
always tied people up, by the way. And then he blindfolds them. Then he, like, removes the son from the room. So the mom, she doesn't even remember, like, she doesn't, like, she described the rape as immaterial because she could only mm. think where's my son what's happening to my son like she didn't that, know what yeah. was going on she was like oh, are there yeah. two people here is one of them like murdering my son in the other room like what's going on and she like she's being raped this whole time and all she can think of is like what's going on where's my child this one that's why this one sticks out to me is like yeah. how terrifying that would be that she doesn't even really remember being raped all she can remember is what's happening how do I what do I do? Yeah. How do I get out of this? And luckily, he did nothing to the son. Mm-hmm. He just m- put him in another him in room, room, and it was fine. I mean, it wasn't fine, but you know. But and, like, he didn't do anything yeah. to the kid, which is thank God. Imagine something being like an incident being so terrible that you are being raped and you don't even really like notice it mm-hmm. because that's how terrible the situation is and how heightened your your senses are and like your. You know, you're so disoriented. Right. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And she was his fifth rape victim. Um, and that happened in 1976. Okay. So as was the case with Jane, his victims were typically in their late 20s and 30s. But he did have two victims that were very young. So Margaret Wardlow was only 12. And he she was his 27th and youngest rape victim. And then there was also 13-year-old Mary Burwert, who was actually lived with her mom. And, okay, this one's awful. This one also, like, really stood out to me. Um, She lived with her mom. So it's just her mom and, like, her at home. I think she was a single mom or something. And he didn't even rape the mom. He raped the 13-year-old with the mom in the other room having to listen and can't do anything about it. Like, she's tied up, too. Mm-hmm. And then this part is so creepy. And Michelle McNamara writes, her writing is really good. And this part she describes so good. And so he kind of just hides in, like, the shadows of the room when he's done. And they, they like, lay there in silence for hours. And then they finally build up the courage to, like, one of them is, like, are you okay? You know, like, yeah, is he gone? And Mm -hmm. then he like appears out of the shadows and starts torturing them again. Isn't that the worst thing ever? Like you think you're finally like, are we okay? Is he, is he gone? Can we start moving around? Like, can we, what can we do? It's just gross because he totally knows how to make people feel terrified. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. It's very invasive is like the word that comes to mind is that, not to compare it to anything else. Like, there's, you shouldn't be comparing, like, severity of crimes. No. But it's not like he just, you know, someone was just, like, experienced a rape, which is worse. And it's, like, which is, like, the worst thing ever. Of course. Of but itself. there's, like, these added things. There's these things. added things that are just, like, by the way, I'm still here. By the way, I know where you are and what you do. By the yeah. way, I was in here before you even knew I was in here. It was just yeah. And, a, I, so and I've much touched terror. your things. And, like, now I'm destroying parts of your life and it's yeah. like that makes me we don't know we I can't tell you a backstory for this person mm-hmm. but th- I mean I can't imagine a scenario in which he wasn't a victim of some sort of sexual abuse himself like that would be incredibly shocking to me if that wasn't the case and like oh some yeah that would very, ma- that would make so much sense and just some like really pivotal traumatic incident maybe in his childhood maybe involving his mom that has made him this way you know so mm-hmm. or He's just doing all this to 
you know, make us off. think that that's what it is. It could be a mixture of both, it honestly. Yeah. Like there could be this like subconscious part of himself that actually does have a traumatic background and it's controlling all of these emotions, but he's just attributing it to like this feeling of dominance and power, but, and then trying to like throw people off with this, you know, F you mommy stuff. And in reality, he actually is being affected by a past trauma. Um, okay, so I'm going to end part two. And in part three, I'll finish up telling you about the East Area Rapist. And then we'll move into our third moniker. <laughs> awesome. I, it's just, <laughs> what are what is this? Okay. So thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye.